So in this Greater Than series, we've been talking about Paul and Timothy's letter to the Colossians. They had learned about a false teaching that had kind of crept its way into the church. And so they begin to address these young Christians on how to live into the faith that they had put in Jesus. He reminds them um, of the supreme nature of Jesus as the Son of God. He tells them about the spiritual fullness that Jesus Christ brings into those who believe. They remind them of the freedom from the human laws because of Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross and through the resurrection. And as we looked at last week, Paul and Timothy tell them about how to truly live life and what it looks like for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And then out of nowhere, what we're going to look at today, Paul and Timothy make what seems like a moment where they have to come back to writing after they stopped because they saw a squirrel or maybe a rat because he was in prison um, because it had run across and they almost forgot where they were at, kind of like me this morning, and um, comes back to writing. And it almost seems like it doesn't fit. But I think you'll realize that it's not all that random at all. So when you need help... Who is it that's typically there for you? When you need someone to listen, who is it that's there? When you need encouragement, support, wisdom, correction, accountability, who is it that's there? When you just need to relax, but you want some company, who is it that you're typically around? For most of you, when you're thinking through those questions, most of you probably responded with friends and family. Is is that a safe bet? Okay. But I know some of you might also say, uh, Pastor, um, I don't have anyone in my family that can help me on this journey of faith. That can really come alongside and show me kind of the things that I need to know, the things that I need to learn as I go through life. One well, scripture, there's this word that the Greek uses to translate household, and it's oikos. And no, I'm not John Stamos, and this is not a yogurt infomercial. Oikos is Greek for household. In the Roman or Greco-Roman culture, it was used to describe not just your family that was in your home, but it was also used to describe your, your servants, your servants' families, your friends, your business associates, and those who are a part of your ecclesia or ecclesia, which is a gathering of the church. Oikos was a natural source of nurture and encouragement. It was a place where you could go 
to live life, to have life poured into you. And so as Paul, as we'll see, as Paul and Timothy kind of make this transition into closing out this letter, they, we see these instructions on Christian household or Christian living. And, and they break it down into three kind of areas. There's marital relationships, there's parental relationships, and then there's socioeconomic relationships. So we're going to look at those this morning. So in Colossians 3 through chapter 4, verse 1, we see in verse 18, the first couple of verses we're going to look at are the, the marital relationships. In verse 18, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, before you start processing your hate mail to me, um, I want to be very clear um, because this is a piece of scripture um, that, for example, my aunt has a really hard time with because she reads this and sees that this is saying what Paul is saying is that women are inferior to men. So let me be very clear. Not here nor anywhere in Scripture does Paul ever say anything about women being inferior to men. That is not what he's talking about at all. Superiority, power, and status have all been eradicated in the life that seeks to live as Jesus Christ modeled for us. One of the things that we have to keep in mind when we read these passages is the culture in which Paul was writing. So when Paul is writing, girls marry at extremely younger age than we have girls marry today. For example, in Roman culture, they were between 12 and 13 years old when they got married. And just a few years older than that, um, in the Jewish culture. So as I was thinking about this, I thought of um, you know, 12, 13-year-old girls, and I'm thinking, they're still struggling. Um, like They're in that rebel against mom and dad stage. Why in the world would they listen to some man they were just forced to marry? Does that make a little more sense now? <laughs> they had to be told. Okay, this is not mom and dad anymore. You need to submit. You need to do what your husband is telling you. And so it was kind of an act of you need to listen to the man because unfortunately the man was usually considerably older than the wife. So in this culture, we have younger girls being married to older men. And so there was a situation where there was kind of a, a disconnect between doing what they were told. Um, so he was also talking, he, sorry, he was talking to all wives, not just teenage wives. Because 
hearing what I just said, we're like, oh, okay, well, he's just talking about teenagers. Once you're old enough to make up your own mind, then we don't need to do that anymore. Well, he wasn't just talking to young wives. He was also talking to all wives who sought to be followers of Jesus. You see, submission was not so much about the husband or even the wife, or even that the wife is lesser than the husband. Submission was first about living as a Christian woman, living in a cultural role as a wife. You see, submission, we cannot take away that Christ was first who they were submitting to. Submission to the husband was not about just doing what the husband said, but it was about being a follower of Christ as a wife in a relationship with the husband. So we can't take away the fact that we have Christ first in a Christian relationship. Husbands, you don't get off the hook. Your wife is not a piece of meat. Your wife is not a trophy just to show off to your buds. Your wife is not your personal chef and maid. Thank you. You're welcome, women. Um, um, why would Paul say this to Christians in Colossae? Why would he just why would he say this to the men? Or why would he say this to the women? Why would he say it to them? Because loving your wife. And treating them with respect and honor went against the culture that they were in. You see, in the Greco-Roman world, women were property on this earth meant to do what the man told them to do. And now Paul is saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, they are not property. You are to love them. And treat them with respect and honor them. In Ephesians, he says that you are to love them as Christ loves the church. <laughs> Good luck. You think your love is pretty awesome right now? You got a long way to go. And, you know, that, and I'm guilty of the fact of thinking about, you know, we're in a good place. Jennifer and I are in a good place. She knows I love her. I know she loves me. We're in a good place. And then I relax. And it's like, oh, wait, I, I need to love her more. Because no matter how much I love her, it's still not as much as Christ loves the church. The church being you and I, the body of Christ. You see, the thing for this, when Paul is talking to husbands and wives, in essence, what he is saying is, when we look at followers of Jesus and as a husband and wife, do we see the relationships of followers of Jesus, do they look the same as the people who are not followers of Jesus. Yeah, I hear that cricket too. 
probably not a cricket. It's probably a bee buzzing around somewhere. So moving on, parental relationships. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Yep, keep it up, Mike. I see some point going on. That's good. I got my pointer out. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Children, obey your parents in everything. Um, for those children here, um, we are not stupid as parents. Um, we've lived a little life, and when we say something, it's because we've learned the hard way already. So that you don't have to. And I can say this because my parents said the same thing to me, and I didn't believe them until I got older and had my own kids and then realized I was pretty stupid because I didn't listen. But you know, I struggle with this at the same time. Because when we read this, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Remember, Paul is talking to Christians. He's talking to Christian moms and dads when he's talking about obeying your parents. You see, the struggle becomes when a child says yes to Jesus and mom and dad say, not happening. Now, is that freedom for the child to just rebel and do whatever they want towards the parents? No. But there has to be a discussion that happens of what it looks like for a child to be a follower of Jesus in a household that isn't. And you see, that's why I believe it's so important that the church do their job especially for kids. So that kids can see in what's modeled and what it looks like to have adults that honor Jesus with their lives. Here's what I can tell you, adults. The kids in this church, the kids in this youth group, the kids in, in the nursery, and they see you. They may not run up to you in public, but they see you in public. They see how you treat other people. They hear the things that you say in public. And they're watching. They see it. The question becomes, will we show them Jesus or will we show them the church that everyone else talks about? That they don't want to be a part of. Children, obey your parents in everything, for it pleases the Lord. Again, we cannot separate the relationship of child and Christ. Children, the reason you should obey your parents is because it honors Jesus and how you live your life. 
The thing that we'll come back to over and over in these passages is that we cannot control what our parents do to us, but we can control what we do and how we act toward our parents. What if the child gets mom and dad to see Christ because the child is is showing more love to the parents than the parents are showing love to the child? Fathers, do not embitter your children. Embitter means to pick fights with or provoke. Dang it. I know that got you too, Mike. <laughs> Sorry. I know, I know for sure it got Pastor John. That's for sure. Do not conspire against them. And it's not talking about picking fights and fun. It's talking about being against your child. Do not make life hard on your child just to make life hard. Just because your father was hard on you doesn't mean you have to do the same thing to your child. That's not what it has to be. Especially for men, it it can be really hard to see what was modeled for them and them to break that cycle and to not do that with their kids. But you see, again, it was never meant to separate Christ. Christ has to be that relationship first. And it's out of that relationship that we parent, that we seek to to pour into our kids. You know, one of the hardest lessons for me to get through to my kids is that I don't push you. I don't, like, challenge you just to get at you. But it's because I see what you're capable of. And I want to push you to be the best person you can be. But it's really hard for them to understand. Sometimes they get it. Sometimes not so much in the moment. And, but I'm learning as I go. You know, I, I wish that I could talk to my kids with like a blanket or something like in front of my face because I'm such a like facial expressive person that sometimes the words coming out of my mouth don't match my face um, because I'm talking nicely, um, but my face is like not so nice. Um, like, for example, um, Ariana, when, whenever I coach her, and I always have this. She, I, evidently, I have this smirk or something that she hates when I do it. I don't even have to say anything. She just looks at me and is like, what do I do now? And I don't even know I do it. But there are times where, like, she'll look over at me, and the only way I know that I'm doing it is because I see what she's like, how she's reacting. And all of a sudden, as she's gotten older, now she has started reacting like I do. Because I'm like, I react like I'm an overreactor. I'm probably like the male version of a drama queen at times. Um, <laughs> I'm going to edit that out later uh, online. And, but she does, like, she'll just like react. 
she doesn't hear what I'm saying. I'm being nice and sweet and trying to help her, and she's just like, she just loses it. And it's like, how do I stop in that moment? That's what I'm trying to learn. How do I stop in that moment and help her see what I'm trying to help her with? It's almost a lesson within the lesson. But I have to learn the lesson before I can teach the lesson, right? A father's love for a child transforms his authority from power into nurture when the father follows what Paul is instructing. From power to nurture. You know, hearing those words again makes me think of the phrase, and, and I've I found myself doing it quite a bit, and now they've actually thrown it back, at least Ariana has thrown it back at me. Um, like when she asks me something and I say no, and she's like, why? And I said, because I said no. Well, that's not an answer. It's never an answer when I say it to you. So it's like, stop trying to be smarter than me. But I'm realizing when I say that, all I'm doing is using my power. I'm not using that moment to help love, to help teach. But in that moment, I'm just using my authority. I'm putting that on them rather than how can I nurture her in this time? Moving on, because I'm ready for a nap. Verse 22, slaves. So this is the socioeconomic relationship. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes are on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you, are also, that you also have a master in heaven. And on this, before I go any further, I want to clarify something. I am in no way saying that the slave-master dynamic and the employee-employer relationship can even begin to be compared. Because the, the tendency is to look at this and immediately jump to, okay, so in our time we're talking about employee-employer. We can't compare that. He's literally talking to Slave masters, slave owners, and slaves. They didn't have an option. There was no walking away if you got tired of your boss. So we have to realize that there is a distinction between them. However, that being said, 
putting this in our context so that we can learn from it. When we think about slave, we're not slaves, but we're employees. We, we have a job to do that we're getting paid for. What about the boss that you cannot stand? The person who's so hateful and cruel, like, but you're still there. You still have a job to do. Notice what Paul says that I think does apply for us. Do whatever they tell you to do. Not only when their eyes are on you. Sound familiar? Cindy knows what I'm talking about. We just had a conversation earlier today. And it says, with sincerity in heart, but with reverence for the Lord. So why would Paul say this to the slaves in Colossae? Why would he say this to the slaves to obey their masters? And to even not just obey them, but do your best work that you can possibly do for them. Verse 24, the second part of verse 24, he tells us, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So see, even in our jobs, even in the things that we do, we cannot separate who we are from our relationship with Jesus. It's out of our relationship with Jesus that we should do our job. That we should do the things that are asked of us. That we should show overwhelming respect to our boss. Because what if, because of how you love and treat your boss, or your employees, you show them a different way to work with people, to love people, to care about them. Because you're not respecting them because they deserve it. You're respecting them because you're serving Christ. You're doing your job to the best of your ability because you're doing it for Christ. You're not doing it because your grumpy boss told you to. You're doing it so that you can honor Jesus. At a young age, um, my first job that I got, um, I wasn't too young, um, but I graduated high school. And I found myself doing this thing a lot because I was mowing um, I had 72 acres. I mowed it and weeded it and trimmed it and, and then started it all over the next week, a city park. And I found myself, as I was mowing, I would always look back and look what I did. And then after the whole park was done, I would kind of stand back at kind of the shop and I would look out at the park and I would look at everything I had done and made sure that it was all done. If I was painting something, I made sure that it was perfect. Whatever I was doing, I wanted it to be the best. Well, it was kind of a twofold situation. As I look back, I realize that I was wanting 
to honor the work that I was doing. I wanted my boss to brag on me when he was up at the restaurant about how good of work that I did. But you know, the other reason that I did it was because my dad had lived in that town his whole life. He worked in the same factory for like 40 plus years. Everyone in town knows him by name. And I wanted it to get back to him of how awesome his son's work was. And, you know, he would tell me. So-and-so told me that he heard about, you know, the job you've done or he's seen the work you've done. It looks really good. And I would love that. You see, that's how we should work for Christ. We should want it to get back to Jesus, that people see the work that we're doing. And that it's not like the people who, who aren't followers of Jesus, who, who take all the breaks they could possibly get and more, who, who punch out as fast as they can, who disrespect the boss right back even though they're the boss. Is there a difference between a follower of Christ in a work environment than someone who's not? Can our employers see the difference in who we are? One of the things that we can think about in this, in thinking about husbands and wives and children and bosses and employers and employees, as you know, that's all great and wonderful, but right now I'm in a broken marriage. Right now, my children are kind of just prodigals. <laughs> They're trying to figure things out, and they've just gone off on their own. My boss is just cruel. And so our prayer becomes, God, change my circumstances. And we expect it. That's how God is going to help us grow. He's going to change our circumstances. And then what happens when those circumstances don't change? You see, a lot of times in those circumstances, God is wanting to work in them. Because it's in those moments that he will teach us, that he will help us to grow. I was tired of my job. I was going to seminary. And I was working for a, a, a contracted company that read Vectran gas meters. During the summer, there was an awesome job. As soon as I was done with my route, I was done for the day, got paid for eight hours, regardless of how long it took me. Some of my routes, I got done in three hours. No breaks, no pot bathroom break, no nothing. Like, no lunch. Let's read this and go home. During the winter, I bawled like a baby. You know, walking through a foot of snow, reading people's gas. Like, I know John Simpkins knows exactly what I'm talking about. Delivering mail in the snow, that's tough stuff. 
And there was a day where I was reading meters and I was just, I was letting God have it. I hated my job. Everything was just negative, negative, negative. I pull up to, I don't even think it's, it, I don't think the building might be there, but there was a, a dry cleaners behind the, the Marion Mall. It's just a little small building. And there was, I'll never forget it. Like it's drilled in my head. There was this guy that kind of looked scroungy looking, but he was out front and he had a push broom. Did I mention it was the windiest day that it had been in like forever? And he's pushing these leaves that were just blowing right back. I'm like, what in the world? Well, after I like was done and walked away, I realized what had happened was this person was a homeless man that was looking for work. And so the owner of the business said, well, sweep in front of the business. And so they're pretty much paying him, but asking him to do something. And so he was just sweeping these leaves. They would blow right back and he sweep. So I'm grumbling in my head about how horrible my job is. And no joke, I walk up to read the gas meter and I'm just, I'm going to walk past him. And he looks me right in the eye and says, be happy you have a job. Oh, crap. Thanks, God. I get the picture now. Because this guy didn't have a job. But he was out there doing the best he could to work for something he didn't have. But I had things. I had a home. I had a wife who had a job. I was paying my bills. But I wasn't happy. God changed my circumstances. Oh, wait. Let me help you out, Dustin. Um, do you have a job? Yeah. Are your bills paid? Yeah. Is there food on your... Yeah. It, is, are you in a good relationship with you? Yeah. Oh, okay. It kind of changes your perspective when you don't go to God asking him to change your circumstances. But what if we ask God, what is it you're trying to teach me in my circumstances? In relationships, we're really good at saying, well, so-and-so and so-and-so and they and they and they, and we, we never tend to do this very much. What if we started changing how our behavior was toward our spouse or our child? We might be amazed at how their behavior changes towards us. Could our difficulty in seeing what God is trying to do lie in your struggle to shift from the focus on yourself to the focus on God. Get yourself out of the way and focus on God. Read scripture again. See, I can't tell you the number of times where I feel like things are just going downhill and downhill and downhill, and I can look at my life and say, Are you reading scripture? Well, I haven't for you know a couple of months. Well, are you praying as much as you had before? No, I haven't. I'm not, haven't been as faithful as I. I find all these things that 
revolve around my relationship with Jesus have waned. And I'm wondering why this over here isn't going all that well. But when I get this back in order, things start to look a little different over here. It's not a magic formula, but I'm telling you, it makes a difference. What if our interactions with each other flowed out of our relationship with Jesus? Stand with me. If you would, just reach out your hands and receive this blessing. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to have your truth and your word speak into us. God, I pray that you will help us to see through our circumstances and see you and seek you, asking you to teach us, to help us learn from our circumstances. God, what is it you're, you're leading us to? What is it you're trying to teach us? How are you trying to help us grow? God, we pray that you would speak into our lives so that out of our relationship with you, we can live into those relationships around us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.